This is the Smart Communications Smart Communications Smart Communications Podcast. Developing the voices voices, voices developing, developing the, the voices, voices of determined nonprofits. Brought to you by Big Duck. Hey, welcome to the Smart Communications Podcast. I'm Sarah Durham, and I'm joined today by Eric Javier from CCS Fundraising. Hi, Eric. Hi, Sarah. So for those of you who don't know Eric, he's a principal and managing director with CCS. And for more than 20 years, Eric has been a trusted advisor to leading nonprofit executives, trustees, and development leaders. He's helped design and implement campaigns and initiatives that have raised more than $2 billion to make a positive difference in communities around the world. His primary areas of expertise include feasibility and planning studies, capital and endowment campaigns, major donor programs, principal gift solicitation strategies, that's what we're going to talk about today, strategic development planning, case messaging, board development, coaching, and training. Welcome, Eric. Thank you for having me, Sarah. So tell us a little bit about CCS before we dig in. Sure. So CCS is a fundraising, consulting, and management firm that partners with nonprofits for transformational change. So we partner with nonprofits usually when they want to do something extraordinary, something big. They want to launch a major campaign. They want to revamp their development office. They want to go from raising X to 3X or 4X. And we provide both the advice and the hands-on execution to help our nonprofit partners do that. So Eric said something really interesting to me recently that I thought would be great to talk about on the podcast. We were talking about what used to be known as the 80-20 rule and how that's changed and the implications of that for making a big ask. So Eric, what was the 80-20 rule? How has it changed? Just give us the backdrop there. Yeah, sure. So there's a principle in business and certainly in fundraising where 80% of your revenue or 80% of your funds raised will come oftentimes from about 20% of your donor audience. Coming up in this business, doing this for well over 20 years, that's something that very much felt like lore. And I think we would experience it, but the game has completely shifted. And as you said, when you look at these donor pyramids and the gift distributions and how organizations are raising money, that 80-20 rule is turned into 90-10 and maybe even 95-5. So the bottom line idea here is that more and more money is being given by a smaller fraction of what are really elite mega donors. And we can debate how that's good or bad, but if an organization wants to do something extraordinary, the attention that needs to be paid to that top of the pyramid has only been magnified. Yeah. And I think for people who solicit major gifts, people who actually have to sit down and ask a donor to make a million dollar, multi-million dollar, maybe hundreds of million dollars, I mean, that is quite an ask to make. There's so much that hangs on that. And I can think of in Big Duck's history, one example of a project where a lot of time and money went into creating one ask for one donor. But tell us a little bit in your experience, how do you go about doing that? How do you prime somebody to make a mega gift? And how do you make that ask and steward that kind of relationship? The good news, I think, for all the listeners, for nonprofits out there, is that philanthropists are becoming more sophisticated and they are more often open to big ideas and considering different asks and initiatives for organizations that maybe they're not necessarily close to. Now, that's still the exception to the rule. So I think for the purpose of this conversation, I think we should assume that, listen, if you're going to get a mega gift 
if you're going to get an eight or nine figure gift or an extraordinary seven figure gift, you know, mega gifts can be different for different organizations. More often than not, it's going to come from someone within the family who, of course, has the capacity to consider a gift like that, may or may not have a track record of giving gifts like that, but they're known to you. You have a relationship as such where you can move a conversation to a place where you are asking them to invest in a vision and it's going to require something extraordinary. You can't do that with someone off the street. It's very hard to do that with someone if you're a direct mail organization, just sort of plucking a name with high capacity and saying, okay, we're going to prepare a proposal for $10 million. There needs to be a lot more sort of process and evolution to make that happen. And these are sometimes called transformational gifts because they have the power to transform the whole organization. Is that correct? It is correct. And I think it's an important point to answer the question, well, how do you go about this? For all listeners, I think we have to start with the question, what are we trying to accomplish? What do we need the money for? One of my partners had a great saying that in our experience, the magnitude of the gift is often related to the length of the timeline for the vision for the future of this organization. Hmm. In other words, it's time for the annual fund. It's year in, year out. I'm ready to give my $1,000 gift or my $100 gift or maybe even my $10,000 gift if I'm a major donor. But it's for what we have to do year in, year out. And I better be prepared to do it again next year. That's right. (laughs) If we're building a new cancer wing or if we're building a new gymnasium for the school, okay, that's a bigger vision. That's multi-year. And it may justify a million-dollar ask of this major donor. But if we're going to ask someone for $25 million or $100 million, we need to be prepared to paint a picture that says, over the next decade, this is what it could accomplish or beyond. We're not just going to build a gymnasium. We're going to change the world. Yeah. Whatever iteration for your organization. Absolutely. Yeah. What justifies a big ask? Well, big need. Big vision, big ideas, right? And it's hard to have a big vision if you're confining yourself to just what you're trying to do this year or even over the next few years. So these are asks that I imagine have a ton of prep, research, probably preliminary conversations with the donor about what compels them. You've already done a lot of feasibility work. You and I have recorded another podcast about feasibility that listeners can look for and we'll link to in the show notes here. But going into that conversation with the donor... Who's having this conversation? Is it the executive director? Is it the board chair? How do you tee up this kind of conversation? There's no question that institutional, organizational leadership will play a key role. Executive director, CEO, president of the university, et cetera. We have to think, organizations also have to think carefully about program leadership, right? Mm -hmm. So the head of neuroscience, if you're an academic medical center, again, depending on what that potential transformational donor is interested in what we're trying to get them to fund. Yes, the CEO is going to be important, but people want to invest in programs and ideas that are led by people with whom they have great respect and confidence. And so bringing in a faculty member, bringing in a dean, bringing in a chair of a department, bringing in a program leader is going to be important. And then oftentimes, maybe not always, the role of a peer. I think major philanthropists want to invest in organizations, again, where they have trust and confidence. So who is leading this board? Who can reassure me that in addition to the staff, who I love, who's awesome, from a governance standpoint and a leadership standpoint, these are people that I trust and I like and I believe in them, right? And there's credibility there. So yeah, you have executive leadership, you might have program leadership, and then you might have lay leadership that 
can be part of the conversation in different ways. I would imagine it's a series of conversations with multiple people over a long period of time. Absolutely. We're often told that, listen, we have one shot to do this. And my reaction to that is that's not promising because I think major philanthropists, it has to be a multi-layered, multi-point conversation when you're asking for that type of investment. Think about when anyone makes a major investment, right? If you're going to buy an apartment or buy a new home or think about how many conversations and how many people are involved in that decision-making. And it's not dissimilar when you're thinking about something that's extraordinary like this. In the communications and marketing world, there's this piece of theory called the ladder of engagement, which says that before people have heard of your organization, they're unaware. And our job is to communicate with them in a way that makes them aware. So they've heard of you or something. The example of that is if you get intercepted on the street and asked for a gift from an organization you've never heard of, you're not going to make that gift because you're unaware and there's no credibility there. But if you get intercepted by Greenpeace or the ACLU or an organization you've heard of and that holds some heft in your brain – You're not unaware. You've maybe contemplated giving a gift. You've moved up the ladder of engagement. And as we move up the ladder of engagement, we go from being unaware to becoming aware to contemplating to maybe lurking, checking them out to maybe a low level of support or engagement. Maybe I've shared something on social or signed a pledge or made a small gift. And then we move up and up and up towards a level of advocacy where we become champions for the organization. And those are, I imagine, the types of donors you're talking about. These are not people who just came in off the street cold yesterday, never heard about you. These are people who've been around. They've been supporting you. They're connected to the board. They know the staff. And this is an opportunity to kind of further embrace them in the warm hug of your organization. Yeah, that is perfect framing. And I think that's exactly right. And I would say that at the very top of that ladder for organizations that really do this well. Organizations that have formal principal gift programs. We're at a stage in philanthropy where having a major gifts department for a lot of these larger institutions, it's not enough. Having a leadership gifts department is no longer enough. We're now talking about organizations, and it's usually the university world and the academic medical center world, but not only them, who are creating literally principal gift or maybe even transformational gift teams who are focusing on not the masses and not even the top 5% of the pyramid, but the top one, top 0.5%. And the ladder of engagement, and I know this is so much of your work, when you think about the great brands on the corporate side, American Express, you name it, where you could be gold, you could be platinum, or you could be diamond. And when you're diamond, there's a set of experiences that you begin to expect. Mm. And so universities and these bigger institutions are being sort of hyper-intentional and mindful that what are the experiences for that top 0.5, in terms of how we communicate with them, in terms of the experiences they get when they come to campus? And it's endless, right? We can have a whole other podcast about that. But when you're talking about transformational gifts and who's this audience, organizations that do this well and command more and more of them, they add some rungs to the top of that ladder of engagement. Yeah, I want to name as I'm listening to you talk about this, too, that these are issues that are also fraught with tensions around power and privilege. One of the strategists on the Big Duck team, Hannah, wrote a great blog about that, about diversity, equity and inclusion and capital campaigns. And so that's a whole other whole other topic. That's another podcast. Yeah, that's another podcast. But for an organization that is just thinking about these kinds of major donor asks before we wrap up, do you have any advice, any things you'd like them to think about 
as they assess their ability to make an ask or get ready to make their first major ask? Yeah, absolutely. So let's assume as we've walked through in this conversation that there is a potential donor who's been connected to the organization. They are super engaged. They've made substantial gifts before, and now they're ready for this next level type of conversation and request. And so there are a number of questions that I would encourage listeners and, and nonprofits who, who have the opportunity to do this to think about and to guide how you would approach it. One is, what is that 10-year vision and beyond that you are articulating and that picture that you're painting for this organization, right? In other words, if you make this investment of $50 million for the sake of argument, what will happen? And I know we always grapple with answering that question for any donor, but it becomes especially important for the mega donor. Secondly, why this person and not the next person? What is unique and special about them and this moment that makes this the right time for them to do this? Just to drill down a little bit on that, we should be able to talk to them about, yes, the impact they can make on this 10-year vision and the programs and the impact the people that will serve. But if they do this, they're participating as a linchpin for so much more. It's going to influence the next 10 people. It's going to elevate, if they do this $25 million gift, this will be by far the largest philanthropic gift this organization has ever commanded. And the press and the publicity and the notoriety and how it elevates our game and our brand, there's so much more impact if a mega donor invests in an organization. So we have to answer that question. Third, how will I be recognized for this? And yeah, it could be a name on the building. It could be a name on a program. But what else? What recognition is multifaceted. The fourth and final question I would encourage everyone to answer is, how can we reassure this mega donor that what they're investing in will be carried out? What are the reassurances? And so who are the leaders that are going to be involved? What are the checkpoints? What's our plan for stewardship? How do we involve them in the unfolding of whatever program or building that we're going to involve? So again, a lot to unpack, but hopefully those guiding questions are helpful for your listeners. Great. And where can our listeners find you or CCS Fundraising? CCSFundraising.com. You can get a whole set of resources and publications and research. We put out a whole bunch of blogs and we're happy to be helpful to the nonprofit community. And we're so grateful, Sarah, that we've overlapped on so many occasions. Well, thanks for joining me, Eric. We'll link to all of that in the show notes. And I look forward to seeing you out there at AFP conferences and other places soon. Great. Thanks, Sarah. Hey, if you've been listening to the Smart Communications Podcast and you're finding it helpful, I hope you will help us by telling a friend about it or somebody in the nonprofit sector who might benefit from it, perhaps, or taking a moment to go to iTunes and rate it or write a review. We really appreciate it. This is the Smart Communications Podcast, developing the voices of determined nonprofits. Brought to you by Big Duck. BigDuck is an agency that puts smart communications in the hands of nonprofits. We help our nonprofit clients develop strong brands, strong campaigns, and strong teams that advance their missions and achieve their goals. Connect with us at BigDuck.com.